Hello, everyone, and either welcome or welcome back to the Gender Libertarian Podcast. If you do like this, please rate, comment, and subscribe. You can find me on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, YouTube, and on my Patreon page where you do get early access. Link will be down in the show notes. So because it's a week in February, it's time to do another Democratic debate recap. <laughs> yes, this is the third debate from the month of February, which to be fair, they gave us a week off. But yeah, it's time to do another recap. Although I just did a recap of another debate that just happened last week, which I want to go ahead and talk about the timing of this debate. Yeah, why? Why? Did we just have two debates in the span of a week? Like this past debate was on Tuesday. I'm recording this on Thursday the 27th. So this past one was Tuesday. And then the one before that was the Thursday before that. So I'm not entirely sure why we had to do this. And I'm wondering if maybe there wouldn't have been some benefit to moving this particular debate to say next Thursday, because the next debate after this one will be on March 15th, which I mean, at that point, I do imagine that this is all going to be over, but the crying and the rumors of a brokered convention, because obviously we will already be, be past South Carolina, we'll be past Super Tuesday, and we'll be after another round of primaries after Super Tuesday. So I am calling this last debate here, the last debate that matters, because like I said, by the time we get around to March 15th, I don't know who else is going to be on this particular stage. And so I think maybe this past debate would have been helpful to be bumped back to like this coming Thursday, like I said, to have a debate between Super Tuesday and then the next round of primaries after that. But they didn't do that. I don't know. I don't know what the DNC was thinking with the scheduling of these debates, but yeah, at least we'll have a couple of weeks break before I have to do another one of these recaps. But to get into the debate, um, I, I was kind of not knowing what to expect going into this round, which was now round 10. We still have two more of these to do. Like I said, there's one in March. There's going to be one in April. That's a TBD. I have no clue who's going to be on the stage in April. Is it just going to be Bernie yelling at himself? Like, I don't, I don't know. But anyway, <laughs> we still have two more of these to go, but. I don't, I don't know. Anyway, coming off of round nine, which was just absolutely batshit crazy. This one was also batshit crazy, but in a slightly different way. Like the the ninth round, that was very loud and caustic and yelly and everybody was just very angry at everybody. And that's not to say that they weren't still in that same place less than a week later, but it was just, it was a different vibe. And we'll get to that in a second about kind of how things went off the rails in this particular debate. But before we get there, I want to discuss kind of a controversy that's come out of this last debate. And that was that during the debate, the crowd was a lot more vocal than we had heard in previous debates. And even when I was watching it, I was wondering if this was a conscious decision by CBS to mic the crowd or if they were just mixing in the crowd noise more so than they had in previous debates. But it was noticeable, everybody noticed it, that the crowd was louder. 
and that there was a section of the crowd that seemed to be very pro-Bloomberg. So take that fact and then couple it with a story that went pretty much viral insinuating that the South Carolina Democratic Party was selling tickets to the debate. And then you got this whole controversy slash conspiracy theory that Bloomberg paid for people to be there at the debate to cheer for him. Now, I want to back up and kind of try to explain how one gets access to one of these debates. And it's not like you don't buy tickets to a debate. I mean, it's not like you show up, it's like, I'd like one ticket to the South Carolina debate, please. Like, they're not for sale like that. What the article was insinuating was that there was like a donor package, basically, that if you donate X amount of money, then you could get a ticket to the to the debate. To get into a debate, especially when you're talking about like a like a official DNC debate, or if this was a year where the RNC was having official debates, you don't buy your way into that. Basically, what ends up happening is in order to get a ticket, you have to either be somebody in the party. You have to be very active in the party. You have to be a big ticket donor. And by a big ticket donor, I don't mean like the seventeen fifty to 3000 that the article was insinuating that you could pay to get a ticket into this thing. I mean, I'm talking people who donate five and six figures. Like I'm talking big name donors. Or you have to, like I said, you have to be somebody or you, you have to sponsor the event or you have to be friends with someone or family. You don't buy tickets. So this whole controversy breaks out. And so here is the official statement from the DNC, which I am not even going to try to pronounce this woman's name, but here's how the breakdown went. And this is her statement. Let me give you the facts. The tickets were divided up between the DNC campaigns with equal allocation, South Carolina Dem Party, CBCI, or the Congressional Black Caucus, CBS, and Twitter. We invited the local and community leaders and DNC supporters. So basically, here's how it broke down. Each candidate got a block of tickets that they could give to their supporters. And then the South Carolina Democratic Party got 400 tickets that they then distributed per them. They distributed to hundreds of activists, county party leaders, community leaders, state representatives, state senators, candidates, and elected officials from every level of in South Carolina. So yeah, Bloomberg's camp also has come out and said that no, they did not pay anybody to be there. But of course, these things stick. And so now you have people who think that Bloomberg paid these people to be in the crowd, to be pro-Bloomberg. That's not what happened. And I mean, that's not what can happen. Like, that's just, it's not, that's not how getting into a debate works. You can't buy your way into it. You have to be invited. So I just wanted to address that because I thought it was kind of funny. And in in the way of people kind of running with theories that fit their confirmation bias, and a lot of people rightfully kind of feel like Bloomberg's trying to buy the nomination. I mean, he's spending his own money. He's spending an epic shit ton of his own money. And so it kind of bought into that idea that, okay, well, of course he paid people to be in the crowd to be pro Bloomberg. It's like, no, that's not what happened. So anyway, moving on from that to the actual debate itself. At this point, since we are at round 10 of these Democratic debates, I'm only going to discuss the things that come up now that are actually 
somewhat new to this particular debate and have not been discussed to death in every other debate. So no, I'm not going to spend time talking about the healthcare argument again, or just, oh my God, no, I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to talk about climate change ever again. Like if you, if you've heard one of my recaps on this, then you, you already know there's nothing new here. Like there, there was nothing really new discussed in any of those conversations, but where they started at with the questioning and for what it's worth, um, I've got plenty to say about the moderation of this debate, but they did occasionally ask a couple of good questions. And the one they started with was posed to Bernie, but also to everybody on the stage, is that how exactly do you sell the idea of revamping the economy when we have these record low unemployment numbers? And it's an economy that, I mean depending on how you look at it. I mean, we do have record low unemployment numbers, so clearly it's working for somebody. But of course, Bernie answers this in the usual, well, it's working well for the billionaire class, but not for the workers. And it's like, well, dude, then how do you explain the record low unemployment? That sounds like it's working well for the workers. <laughs> but of course, I mean, there there is no good answer to this question because there is no good answer to that question. Like, how exactly are you going to pitch whether you're Bernie and you really just want to go whole hog on whatever the hell Bernie would be able to accomplish. I mean, he has in the past said that he does want to nationalize certain industries. I mean, I don't think it's going to happen, but he's put it out there. Um, Elizabeth Warren's plan is very progressive in that way, that she wants to the government to at least heavily interfere in certain industries. And I don't see how that's going to be an easy sell when things are economically speaking right now relatively well um dips in the dow from coronavirus fears notwithstanding <laughs> which that's i don't think that conversation ever came up i don't think i don't recall them saying anything about coronavirus huh well i guess that that's another thing we could add to the list of shit that wasn't discussed but <laughs> It just it still blows my mind that we can have the same circular conversations about certain topics every debate, but other topics just do not get touched with a 10-foot pole. Anyway, um, an interesting conversation that did happen is a conversation between Bernie and Buttigieg and other people on the stage, but mainly the dust-up was between Bernie and Pete on the topic of the filibuster. And it was in relationship to a question that a moderator posed, especially when talking about like trying to pass things like Medicare for all. Um, the filibuster basically says that if you're going to pass major legislation, you have to have a 60 vote majority. You can't just do it on like a 51-49 vote, which I think for major, major overhauls like Medicare for all, that's correct. You do need to have a supermajority. I mean, you can't pass something that is going to radically alter a large chunk of the American economy, which is the the healthcare segment of the economy, on, on a 51-49 vote. Like, that's just absurd. But the argument between the two was, would you advocate getting rid of the filibuster? And Bernie walked right up to it, but would not say that he would ever get rid of the filibuster, whereas Buttigieg is an advocate of getting rid of the filibuster. Woo. Um, yeah, for reasons I just said, that would be a really bad idea. And it's just, oh, no, it exists for a reason. Please don't nuke it any more than we already have. 
But it comes down to kind of dancing around that conversation of even if we do get a President Bernie and he does push Medicare for all in kind of the same way Obama did with his Obamacare, whether this is something that could actually happen because it's law that would have to be passed by Congress. And as it stands right now, even amongst Democrats in Congress, there's not a lot of vocal support for Medicare for all. So yeah, you're going to have a very long uphill climb. And I imagine the process would be much like Obamacare, where you start with wanting single payer, you want universal health care, you want government done health care, however it is you want to phrase that. But then you have to start making these compromises. And then little by little by little, you work down to something that you can get enough people to agree on. I, I just, I don't see Medicare for all happening. And I thought it was really interesting that kind of the process of how that would happen was brought up and kind of in a way of casting aspersions on the idea that this is something that could even be done because you're just not going to have the congressional support for it unless you nuke the filibuster. And even then, I don't see it happening. Like, that's just not going to happen. But not to say that President Bernie would be not something to be like, dismissed or not feared because, I mean, he would try it and maybe he'd have success. I don't know. It's going to matter what happens down ticket from him. Anyway, it was just, like I said, an interesting conversation that I hadn't heard in any of the previous other nine rounds of Democratic debates. So at least that was something interesting. Another thing that was discussed was this new idea being put forth that Russia is trying to help Bernie win. Now, in my last recap, I talked about how some of the stuff that was discussed in that debate was extremely online sort of controversies. And this one is also an extremely online controversy because unless you spend time in the political bubble, you would have had no idea what anybody was talking about during this. You would be like, Russia's helping Bernie get a. I thought they helped Trump. I I thought I thought Putin like Donald. I'm I'm very confused and hell. I'm in the bubble and I'm just like what what? Well wait hold on. I'm I'm so confused. Who's Russia like this week? Who's Putin in love with? I I just oh my god. I'm just, first of all I'm just tired of talking about Russian interference in U.S. elections. Like I'm sorry. No, buying Facebook ads is not fucking interfering in an election. People. I'm sorry. Interfering is like vote rigging or voter suppression or somehow causing people to not vote or conscripting them or compelling them to vote in a certain way. It's not posting memes on the fucking internet. That's not, that's just, that's not vote interference. That's just being stupid online. Like everybody, like we don't, we don't even need Russia's help with that. We do just fine on our own making jackasses of ourselves online. We don't need Russia's help. Anyway, so we had a whole discussion about that. And like I said, it was one of those where if you were somebody who was a relatively normal, well-adjusted, sane human being who didn't live in the political bubble, you were probably just watching that segment of it like, what the fuck are we talking about? Why? What? I'm... Who? Wait. No. Anyway. It's just... It, it's an odd choice of topics for me, especially when, like I said, during the last recap, this is the part where people who don't cover this kind of stuff 
are going to start paying attention and tuning in. And then all of a sudden you, you're talking about all this stuff that unless you're, you follow this stuff and you're inside and you're kind of keep up with all this stuff, you're not going to know what anybody's talking about and you're probably not going to care. So yeah, it's just, I, I don't know. It's some weird, weird choices over the past week of debate questions that I just, I, I question why and who made these decisions and whether they were really the best decisions to be making at this particular point in time when you have these candidates who need to be appealing to as broad a group of people as possible. So you really need to be discussing things that matter to the people who are actually watching this and not just to us chattering class people who... I mean, I, shit, I don't even know how many people in the chattering class care about that story. Everybody's just like, we're done. I'm done with Russia. I'd move on. Anyway, let's talk about the thing that wasn't discussed again. And I know I sound like a broken record. And I know people online are starting to poke fun at people who keep pointing out that their particular pet cause wasn't covered in the debate. But once again, not a word on immigration. Not even a throwaway question. Not even not even the question about DACA that Klobuchar got. Nothing. Not a peep. And again, I know I sound like a broken record. And yes, I know it's my pet cause, but it's also Trump's pet cause. And so it's it's glaring now. Like you have lots of people pointing this out that no not touching immigration. And a theory I saw put forth and I don't think this is an entirely incorrect theory. I don't know if it's entirely the explanation, though. And that is that moderators and Democratic candidates in general are afraid to touch the topic of immigration because in order to discuss the Trump administration's approach to immigration, you would have to also inherently talk about the Obama administration's approach to immigration and how the Obama administration kind of laid the groundwork for the Trump administration to do what it has done with immigration. And that is not to say that the two administrations are equal. What the Trump administration does is far worse than what the Obama administration did. Let's be clear. Yes, the Obama administration put kids in cages. That is correct. Yes, they engaged in family separation. That is correct. The Trump administration has done that put it on steroids, did way more, has interfered way more with legal immigration. They've cut refugee numbers to the bone. It just came out that they are raising the filing fees on various sorts of applications that you have to fill out to apply for immigration. In some cases, going from like $110 to $975. Like the barriers to legal immigration that the Trump administration is putting up go so far beyond anything the Obama administration did, it's not even a fair comparison. But you would have to, if you wanted to have an honest conversation about immigration, have to talk about what the Obama administration did. And nobody seems to be ready to have that conversation. And actually, now that I think about it, another reason why I would think Bernie Sanders specifically would not want to talk about immigration is he would have to then talk about his past stances on immigration, which were very much closed borders. I mean, and it's a thing where a lot of the people that are standing on that stage did at one point advocate for more closed borders, more border security. We have to secure the border, blah, 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 blah. 
but especially Bernie Sanders. And that kind of goes hand in hand with having more socialist type policies. I mean, there weren't a lot of socialist countries with open borders. It kind of doesn't go along with the concept. So yeah, I mean, that's, I, I think there is something to that theory, but I mean, it's the, whoever the nominee is, it's going to have to be discussed. I mean, there's no way you're getting through the general election without discussing immigration. So you might as well start getting used to discussing it now and start coming up with your arguments and start steelmanning your arguments because Trump is going to attack you on it. Like every time, every time there's a Democratic debate, the man tweets afterwards something about how the Democrats are the party of open borders. Like you might want to start developing some kind of line of defense because he's going to bring it up. I mean, I just, I, I'm still blown away by just the avoidance of the topic. But to cap off the evening, there's always that traditional last question. And for this debate, it was a real humdinger. Like the, the last question was, what is the biggest misconception about you? And what are some words you live by? Now, here are the replies to what's the biggest misconception about you? Which again, this is just such, why the fuck are they asking this question? Like, what? Anyway, Tom Steyer said, I'm defined by success and money. Amy Klobuchar said that I'm boring. Joe Biden said that I have more hair than I think I do. I'm not shitting you with this stuff. This is not like satire. This is, these are the answers that these people gave. Because I think they were just as baffled by this question as, I, as everybody else. Bernie said, my ideas are radical. Elizabeth Warren, I don't eat enough. Pete Buttigieg, I'm not passionate. Bloomberg, I'm six feet tall. Like, what the fuck? Especially Liz's answer. Like, what? Who who said that she doesn't eat enough? Like, what? Like, that's some skinny girl bragging shit right there. Like, oh, everybody thinks I don't eat, but I eat, like, all the time. Like, you wouldn't believe. It's like, the fuck kind of grown woman answer is that? Anyway, just all these answers sucked. And it was just such a weird, weird just ending question. Like, eh, I oh my God. But I guess that actually does a good job of capping off that debate because, oh my Lord, that was something. So this is the part where I normally do the winners and losers. And this time around, I don't have any winners. Like I don't, maybe I'm just getting burnt out on watching these. Maybe it's just, I've watched them all and it's just getting to a point of being redundant. But Let's kind of go over each candidate and kind of their highlights and lowlights. And we'll start with Bernie, who stuck by his comments about the Castro regime that he made earlier in that, well, it was authoritarian and that's bad, but they had a great literacy program and they instituted universal health care. It's like, shut the fuck up, Bernie. Just shut. Stop it. Stop it. But of course, he doubled down on it. It's like, well, they did. They instituted this great the literacy program. Like, first of all, Cuba wasn't some ass backwards illiterate place before the revolution. Like, they were doing pretty fucking good. Second of all, just so? Who cares if the people can read if the government tells you what you can and cannot read? Who cares if you have universal health care if the hospitals are complete dumps? Which they are. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> anyway, yeah, Bernie just kind of stuck by that. Um, one thing that he did say that is good and is is 
at least something of a credit to Bernie. And that is that he said, now, mind you, I don't know how much a president would be able to do this through any kind of EO or anything, but in the first 100 days or 100 hours or 100 whatever the hell it was, 100 milliseconds, I don't know anymore, that he would deschedule marijuana, he'd move it from schedule one, and that there would be he would move to expunge the records of those currently serving time or having served time. To which I'm assuming he means on federal charges because obviously a president can't do that on a state level for state charges. But I suppose you could do some kind of mass, I don't know, clemency, do some kind of mass expungement on the federal level as president. So, I mean, there's that. And he seems to at least be taking that seriously. Um, The last notable thing that Bernie said was that he supports government-sponsored health care for the, what is supposed to be the most important ages ever of children, which is from zero to four. Now, why in the world you would want to put your child aged zero to four in a government-sponsored facility is beyond me. That seems like a monumentally bad idea, but he supports it because that's, I mean, that's kind of straight up out of, like, the Soviet Union. Like... That's 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 what they instituted. They had government-sponsored daycare so that you could go plop your kid down in daycare and take your ass back to work, which that's what it really was. Like, it was framed in this way of, oh, we're helping women. and we're uh, Like, no, you're expected to take your ass back to work. So now you need some place to put your kid. So here you go. Government daycare. Now get back to work. <laughs> oh, there, there's so much out of the Soviet Union that was portrayed as helpful to women, which really wasn't. But that's a whole nother topic for a whole nother day. Aside from that, Bernie was just Bernie. Like, if you've seen Bernie in a debate, you've seen him in every debate. He can make anything be about health care. He can make anything be about Medicare for all. Um, he keeps insisting that Medicare for all is going to be cheaper than any other option, although even by his own admission earlier in the, I think it was last week, he was doing an interview and he said that we don't know what the numbers are going to be. So how exactly you could say something is going to be cheaper than what we currently have if you don't have accurate numbers beats me. But the man keeps saying it. So there's that. Joe Biden. Uh, well, Joe seemed a little more awake than usual. He seemed a little peppy. He seemed to stay with it. He uh, kind of hung in. Again, Joe Biden is one of those, like, if you've seen Joe Biden in a debate, you've seen him in pretty much every debate. Although I would say the past couple of debates have been markedly better than his earlier debates. Like, some of the earlier debates, that was that was rough. People had a lot of questions about Joe Biden after some of those debates. But he's actually done pretty well in the past two, I think. Not to say that there weren't Bidenisms, and this one did have a whopper of a Bidenism. Um, in the conversation about gun control and in also attacking Bernie on his votes on gun control, because apparently he voted for a bill that would give some pretty broad legal protections to gun manufacturers, which is sounds like a fairly correct vote, to be honest. But Biden popped out with the, the little stat that 150 million people have been killed by guns since 2007. Which means a lot of you listening to this are dead, and you don't know it, and you're listening to this from the next dimension. 
150 million people killed by guns in 200, since 2007. Um, we're, I think, at 320 million people in the country right now. Half the country died since 2007, y'all. You didn't know it, though. <laughs> but that's, that's, that's a Bidenism. Maybe he meant to say 150,000? Maybe he meant to say 1.5 million? Who knows? It's fucking Joe Biden. It's crazy Uncle Joe. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> There's nothing you can say about Joe Biden that hasn't already been said at this point. Yeah, his brain is made out of cheese. He's old as hell. His face doesn't move. I, I'm not quite sure if he's going to even make it through a term as president. I can also say the same thing about Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. I don't know if I trust these people to actually be able to physically make it through a term as president because they're all old as shit. So, I, I, why, why do we have so many old people running for president? Like, if I was old, this is literally the, the last thing I would be doing with my life. Especially if I was a millionaire or a billionaire. I'd be like, screw this. I'm going to go sit down. I'm not running anywhere. I'm sitting down. But a couple of other somewhat interesting things to come out of Joe Biden is that he would, in some capacity, again, I am not entirely sure how a president would do this, would go after those people who gentrify neighborhoods. Um, okay. And I get that the gentrification argument is a very difficult one. And it's one that I struggle with too, because I genuinely understand both sides of the argument. I understand people wanting to go in and make neighborhoods better, improve them. But also at the same time, when you do that, it raises property costs. And so you're kind of pricing people out of neighborhoods who are originally in those neighborhoods. And some people say that the solution to that is just tell people not to sell their property, which, okay, cool. But if, say, you bought a house at $150,000 and now somebody's offering you half a million dollars for it, like, I'm not going to tell somebody to walk away from life-changing money like that. Like, I think that's a huge ask to ask anybody to do. So I, I get the gentrification conundrum and how you square that circle. I'm not entirely sure how it is that you kind of preserve a neighborhood while also improving it because by improving it by definition you're not preserving it so it's it's a tough conversation it really is and I don't have an answer to it but I don't think the answer is somehow punishing people who want to gentrify neighborhoods like that doesn't seem like the answer <laughs> and also he said that he would nominate a black woman to the supreme court if he were president and a supreme court nomination opened up which I mean, that's not really a great way to pick a Supreme Court nominee, but hey, he put it out there, so there you go. Joe Biden, going to nominate a black woman to the Supreme Court. <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> again, Biden is just Biden. I don't know what else to say about him. But moving on to Bloomberg, uh, didn't do as bad as the last debate, or at least the first half of the last debate. I feel like he got a little better in the second half of the last debate, and this debate kind of picked up on that, although the momentum he lost after that last debate, I don't think there's any getting that back. That still getting hammered on stop and frisk, which, good, nail him to that every day for the rest of his life. I don't care. It was unconstitutional. 
And that should just be disqualifying for running for president, supporting an unconstitutional practice like stop and frisk. So yeah, bring it up every day. Go for it. Um, he did get asked the question of whether he would institute some of the same policies that he instituted in New York City as far as kind of the nanny state stuff, like, you know, the, the sugary drink tax and I think he jacked up cigarette taxes and stuff like that, if he would do the same thing nationwide. And he kind of sort of waffled and didn't answer the question. Um, during a part of the debate where people were kind of piling on to Bernie for not condemning the Castro regime in strong enough terms and still sticking to that whole idea that it, that literacy in healthcare was, is fine and we should talk about that anyway. Um, <laughs> for some godforsaken reason, Bloomberg decided to go ahead and I guess double down, maybe triple down at this point on his concept that the, the head of the Chinese government Xing Jinping is not a dictator and that he's not a dictator because he's beholden to the portobello and Bernie pointed out like yeah who the fuck do you think is sitting in the portobello you dumbass yes he's a fucking dictator you moron but it just i mean i don't i don't know what bloomberg's thing is here and why he's here but he did bring up his support for charter schools which is a genuinely good thing that Bloomberg did in New York City which was promote the building and people going to charter schools as an alternative to other public schools that are possibly failing in their specific communities and that he would like to see that more on a federal level which yes obviously more school choice the better and Kind of the big thing that came out of Bloomberg from this debate is an, an almost slip up, or maybe it was a Freudian slip. And that is that he said, and then he caught himself, that he bought the new Democratic members of the House. And really he's and he, what he meant says, I got them. But it first came out as bought them, which there's been a lot of talk about how certain people are supporting Bloomberg and how some of those people got rather sizable donations from Bloomberg in the past. And so maybe that is why they are supporting him. But of course, Bloomberg has donated tons and tons and tons of money to various Democratic candidates and causes and stuff like that, including a lot of the people who ran back in 2016. And so everybody kind of jumped on that by, again, going with this whole idea that Bloomberg bought the things. Bloomberg bought those people. And it's like, hey, whatever. I don't, I don't know. I, I don't have the energy to have that conversation because <laughs> I genuinely don't care. Like, yes, everybody knows he donated a shit ton of money. Okay. I don't really see any of those people supporting Bloomberg. In fact, I, I don't know as if I've seen any elected official come out and officially support Bloomberg. I don't recall anybody doing so. So, okay. Um, he did also invoke 9-11 about how 9-11 prepared him to be president of the United States. And it's like, okay, shut up, Rudy. 
But he made the argument that because, well, I stepped in after 9-11 and we got the city back on track. And so that makes me like, don't invoke 9-11. Okay, if you're running for any kind of office, do not invoke 9-11. Just don't. That should be off limits. Yeah, don't do that. People don't like that. But I don't think... I don't think Bernie or I don't think Bloomberg did anything really to help himself or hurt himself because I don't think anybody really cares anyway. <laughs> I mean, he had his moment and he's still blanketing the whole damn earth, it feels like, with ads. Like, I can't, I can't even watch YouTube videos anymore without seeing Bloomberg ads. It's like, damn it, go away. But moving on to Elizabeth Warren. Now, it's pretty clear that Liz is still the media favorite. Because during this absolute cluster of a debate, um, everybody basically talked over everybody. Nobody paid attention to the time limits. Everybody, like I said, just did whatever the hell they felt like. But Liz especially did and was allowed to basically talk at will. And that is not something that went unnoticed. And what do you think Liz did with all this unfettered mic time? Do you think she attacked Bernie? Eh, she did once, in the beginning, talking about how, in comparison to his Medicare for All plan, her plan is better because she has a plan. Did you know Elizabeth Warren has plans? And how to fund things? Which is basically her stupid, stupid, stupid two-cent wealth tax that's supposed to fund everything from college to healthcare to free ponies, to God knows what the hell else she's promised this money to. But it's just, it's it's such a ridiculous plan in and of itself because this money is like just so fungible to her. Like, okay, it's going to cover this and it's going to cover that and that and that and that. And it's like, it's a finite amount of money. Like, you do know that, right? Like, it cannot cover all these things. So she attacked him on that, which, by the way, this is hardly the first time she's brought up that particular line of attack. But after that, that was it. That was it. No more attacking Bernie. Again, she decided to spend her time attacking Bloomberg. Why? Beats me. But the the kind of the one thing that everybody's latched onto from her debate was this conversation she was having with Bloomberg. And she brought up her story about how the time she was pregnant and then she lost her job through somewhat dubious circumstances because apparently the stories changed a couple of times. So she was a teacher and she got pregnant and she lost her job. And then she pivoted that story to, but at least my employers didn't tell me to kill it like Bloomberg did. And this is referencing an anonymous quote from a woman who said that when she told Bloomberg that she was pregnant, that Bloomberg told her to quote-unquote, kill it. Again, I want to emphasize this is a completely anonymous, unsourced quote that she decided to try to hammer Bloomberg with. And he didn't exactly handle it all that great either. I mean, he flat out said, I did not say that, but then also did the kind of equivalating thing of, oh, well, I mean, whatever I said, if she took it that way, I'm sorry, but I didn't say that. You know, that just a stupid the stupid weaselly way of trying to get out of these sorts of conversations. But he says he didn't say it. There's no proof that any of it was said. And at this point, 
it got so bad for Liz that there were people in the crowd booing her for pursuing this particular line of questioning. And even I pointed it out. I'm like, this is just not a good idea. This is not a good look. It's not a good idea. Why are you trying to hammer Bloomberg on this point when Bloomberg's not your problem? Bernie's your problem. Bloomberg isn't beating you in the polls. Bloomberg is not the front runner. Why the fuck are you wasting your time attacking this dude? And I don't know if I said it on the pod, but I know I've said it on Twitter and I would like credit for being the first person to point this out. She's angling for a VP nod, which she's never going to get because Bernie's base will never, ever, 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 ever accept her as his VP pick. But it seems to me like she seems to feel or at least start sensing that she's not going to be the nominee. And now's a good time to try to pivot, to try to get into the good graces of the person who is going to be the nominee, presumably. Which make of that strategy what you will, but I it's what it seems to me and I'm not the only person thinking that at this point. Like I said, I think it's a very bad strategy, but then again, I don't know what other strategy she could possibly employ at this point. I mean, it's pretty abundantly obvious that she's not going to be the nominee despite everything, which this is going to be such an odd case study to study in the future that Elizabeth Warren, who had pretty much every advantage you could possibly have as a candidate, and yet still like, it's not even like she's coming in second or third to Bernie. It's like distant thirds, distant fourths. Like it's, it's rough. Like it it almost makes you feel bad for the woman, but how exactly she went from at one point being the front runner to basically like it's over. Like it's just, this ain't happening. You ain't going to be the nominee. So anyway, moving on to Pete Buttigieg. Um, noticeably less talk time he got than he did in the previous debate. And so he didn't have as much of a chance to kind of put himself out there as the calm, normal person. But in the times that he did get to talk, and mind you, this, with all the crosstalk and people talking over each other, it doesn't really suit somebody who's actually like trying to be polite and follow the rules. And even Biden started pointing it out. He's like, am I the only person that's going to actually follow the rules here? And it was just, it got out of control. But like I said, not as much time for Buttigieg. But he did make the argument that Bernie is the most dangerous candidate on the stage in terms of electability, both for the Democratic Party at the top of the ticket and then also down ticket. I don't know about down ticket. I'm, I don't know. He did make the point though, along those lines, that it's going to be difficult for people down ticket to try to sort of explain away that the guy at the top of the ticket has somebody who has somewhat praised the Castro regime. And this is also somebody who did have nice things to say about the USSR in the late 80s and nice things to say about Nicaragua. (laughs) Yeah, that there's going to be a lot to try to answer for with a Bernie Sanders nomination that people down ticket are going to have to deal with a lot of that baggage and that that could be detrimental. 
So, I mean, not a completely invalid point, but one, I don't know, I don't know what would happen there. I guess we're going to find out, I suppose, because <laughs> it does seem like that is where this is going. So, anyway, moving on, Amy Klobuchar did fine, but nobody cares because everybody does perceive her as boring, but she did actually in the healthcare discussion, brought up something that I don't recall ever anybody else bringing up. And I want to thank her for this. Bringing up the idea about accessibility in healthcare and pointing out that it doesn't matter if people have cheap healthcare or free healthcare, if they don't have access to healthcare, if the closest hospital is 50 miles away, it doesn't matter what you're paying for insurance you still don't have access to healthcare and that that is a problem that needs to be addressed along with cost is accessibility. And she's absolutely right there. And I wish that we could have a conversation about that because that is a problem no matter what, like no matter what healthcare we end up with, whether it is Medicare for all by some strange feat of, I don't know what, or if it's status quo, or if there's something more along the lines of what libertarians want, where things get opened up and people are free to choose the kind of healthcare insurance that's best for them. Accessibility is still the other half of that equation. So yes, thank you, Amy, for bringing that up. I thought that was a really good point that sadly nobody else on the stage engaged with, but hey, at least somebody brought it up. And then lastly, Tom Steyer. I don't know why he's here. Why is he here? How does he keep getting on this stage? Anyway, (laughs) this idiot basically just wants to centrally plan the economy through executive order and still wants reparations. And that's Tom Steyer. That's about it. (laughs) But honestly, he did say that through the executive office and through EOs, he would dictate how companies operate, what they make, how much of it they make, how energy companies operate, how manufacturing operates. It's like, Nah, dude, I'd be a lot more concerned about that if he had a snowball chance in hell of being the nominee, but he doesn't. So I just can't really care about Tom Steyer all that much. But anyway, to wrap this up, to talk about the losers of the debate, the moderators. Um, This was co-moderated by Nora O'Donnell and Gail King with guest moderators coming in in various parts. Um... There was a Twitter component to this, so you did have people coming in and posing questions that were posed on Twitter. Wow. Um, Yeah. I noticed, and I called this probably about 10 minutes into the debate, that they were going to completely lose control of the debate, and they did. Like, there were points where it was like they might as well have not have been there. That's not good. Like, your job as a moderator is to moderate. And... Everybody on stage just ran all over these two women. (laughs) I was just like, this is a disaster. This is an absolute fucking disaster. And like I said, it wasn't the disaster of round nine where it was just, it it was a different kind of disaster in where it's just like, you couldn't get anything 
nothing. Like everyone's just talking over everybody. Everybody's just doing whatever they want. They're running over time. They're making whatever points they want to make. They're not answering the questions. They're pivoting to whatever the hell it is they want to talk about. And the moderators had absolutely no control over this debate. Yeah. Um, that's bad. <laughs> Again, when this is the time where normal people are starting to tune in, if they first tuned into these past two debates, they're probably like, all of these people are batshit crazy. They are all awful, awful, crazy people. And that's not really what you want to be presenting to the American people right now, because this is the time when swing voters and independents and undecided people start tuning in to be like, okay, well, what what are my alternatives here? Especially if you're voting in a Democratic primary, like, okay, what are my options here? If you are looking for somebody as an alternative to Trump, you're looking at the Democratic Party saying, okay, what do we got here? Holy shit, we're going to have a loud, shouty socialist. Oh my God. And who are all these other people? Why is everybody yelling at each other? And and what what is anybody even saying? I can't even, I, five people are talking at once. What the hell's going on? So it's just not been a good look for the Democratic candidates over these past two debates. But like I said, the next one will not be until March 15th. And I strongly suspect that by that point, um, I mean, Bernie will still be in the race. Whether Biden will be, I'm not entirely sure. Um, Bloomberg, I don't know. I, I Shit, I don't know what. I don't know. I, I guess I'll just keep spending money until when the fuck ever. Apparently he's worth $60 billion. So he's still got quite a few more billions of dollars to blow on this before he stops. I, I don't know. Um, Warren, honestly, I expected to drop out after Super Tuesday. Probably also Pete Buttigieg. Probably also Amy Klobuchar and Tom Steyer. So like I said, by the time we get to March 15th, I don't know who's going to be left to stand on that stage in a debate. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> oh my God. This is such a disaster. These past two debates have been an absolute disaster for the DNC. I, oh, wow. And they're going to get stuck with Bernie. <laughs> there, there's something funny about it, honestly. It, I mean, it, it sucks because now this means we're either going to get a second term of Trump or a term of Bernie. And both of those things suck if you're a libertarian. But there's almost a bit of retribution there to the DNC for screwing Bernie over in 2016. It's going to suck, but at least it'll be somewhat entertaining and there'll be content to be had. And that's about the best I can say about that. So at this point, I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up. So if you did make it this far, thank you for listening as always. And if you do like this, please rate, comment, and subscribe. You can find me on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, YouTube, and on my Patreon page. Take care and until next time.